0: Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars Podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Good morning. Well, we're wrapping up the first month of 2018 already. Well, you can believe that. And there's plenty to talk about. Uh, First off, in China, the ride-sharing service, Didi, has begun using data from its roughly 25 million rides per day. To give cities information, to control traffic signals, I guess that's just the start. The data can also be used for smart city development strategies. Pretty important here.
1: Well, I think so. I mean, I I took this uh, one, uh, the number that they had been saying uh, up to recently was 20 million rides per day. Now it's 25 million. Uh, I don't know who's auditing them in terms of what the real number is, but whatever the real number is it's it's non trivial and um and uh, it's getting to be a point at which they have a view of what the mobility real time mobility uh needs are of um of at least some major cities uh, such that uh they might have a, they might actually be able to uh uh to anticipate uh congestion and at least for their own account uh uh do a better job of of rooting uh their own um uh drivers but also um in the process uh alleviating uh congestion for uh everybody else um, um you know, the, the real trick to all this is that, um, it's not what the congestion is now. It's what the congestion's going to be when I'm at where I'm, I'm currently driving, <clears throat> which up to this point has been an enormously difficult, uh, thing to, to forecast. Um, it's, it's, it's not stationary at all. And, um, and uh, one at least uh, uh, would like to have a, a real-time uh, view into uh, into what people are going to want to be uh, doing or where they're going to want to be at what point in time. And the interesting thing about what Didi has is that basically it's not only – uh, when the person gets in the vehicle, they all they know the destination. I mean, the person d- d- divulges it. Otherwise, they don't get to where they're going. So they have that, but they actually have it uh, as soon as there's a request. But more importantly, as soon as they uh, assign a vehicle to that person, uh, then they basically know how that vehicle is going to get to that person and pick pick them up, and then take them to their destination. So that's an enormously valuable view into the future that they have. And um, and if you now have enough of this, and you know, of course uh, the fundamental analytical question is how much is enough, and uh, 25 million um, uh, spread throughout China certainly isn't enough, uh, but um, – but if they grow 10 times to have um, 250 million uh, uh, trips a day or even maybe, you know, come close to growing 100 times, uh, which if they're really going to be um, significant in providing mobility, they almost have to do. Of course, they'll probably all also need uh, driverless vehicles because you don't have enough drivers uh, to perform um, that massive uh, amount of uh, – of mobility, and if you replace every uh, every person that's driving for for him or herself with now now a driver, uh, that's basically almost a doubling of the population. Or well, it's not really that, but it's an enormous number. So uh, this is this is really interesting. Um, the issue is is uh, whether or not uh, Didi is making these data available to everyone, keeping it for their own account. Uh, and all the various other things, the implication is in, in the article is they say that in Jinan, which I guess I've been in Jinan. I think it's the 28th largest uh, city in, in in China or something like that. Yeah, it's probably bigger in New York uh, city. But um, um, uh, but uh, there they're using it to uh, to uh, to change traffic signals. Uh, Okay, uh, that gets the traffic engineers involved. What's more important is is how do you do uh basically real-time routing of uh, vehicles with uh, a proper anticipation of where the congestion's going to be. So basically you distribute the uh uh the traffic throughout the network so as to minimize congestion. So um uh and to do that you need data and uh and they have a um a view at uh, at starting to get the data for that that's a long uh, answer to your question but uh, but that's why the, that's really important
0: right and for people who aren't familiar with the name Didi in in this country uh they're really China's version of of Uber and Lyft kind of all combined right
1: uh yes they are uber and Lyft combined in fact uh you know they compete uber tried to compete with them in china and, and, and ended up uh selling to Didi. and Didi's just gone into brazil and mexico i believe and uh and maybe someday will come to the united states so they are a, a serious competitor in this uh in this uh, business of um of uh, on demand uh, mobility uh, being hailed using uh a communications device. I, uh, you know, I think it's the new transit. I, it's, it's, it's mobility. If, if you define transit as being mobility for everybody, uh, then they're out there offering mobility for everybody. So it is transit. But instead of doing it, um, you know, from a from a bus stop to a bus stop, uh, whenever the bus decides to show up. On some schedule, uh, uh, what all they what they do is, of course, uh, uh, try to do it uh, and serve you when you want to be served uh, from where you are to where you're going, and so it is a a real enhancement to mobility um, in the transit world.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue into our next item here. Here in the U.S., uh, the meeting this month of the Transportation Research Board still generating lots of fodder. There was information provided by Bruce Scheller, a former deputy commissioner for the New York City DOT, showing that this spring, companies like Uber and Lyft, along with taxis, will carry more passengers than transit buses. And this, you point out, is is really a precursor to the self-driving vehicles.
1: Yes. It, I mean, it just shows that, that in fact, there, there are people out there that, that really need mobility from where they are to where they're going at the time when they want to go. And un- unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, buses do do it, but you have to wait around and, they, and you have to, and they're not really, uh, necessarily coming from where you are, uh, to where you want to go. And so these services have come up and made it easy for people. Uh, to get that service and when you look at at the way it's being priced it's somewhat affordable um and um, and so in fact there's been a great response and part of the interesting things that are pointed out in and this is just data <clears throat> shows that in the outer boroughs is where this is this is uh, really um uh seems to be um, um uh catching on why because that's the places where buses don't give very good service. And, in fact, there are still people who live that need to go from where they are to where they want to go when they want to do it. And so um, these uh, these systems have been basically coming out of the woodwork. Th- this is quite different than, than Jitneys. Uh, early on, basically, uh, uh, running down along, um, streetcar lines in Los Angeles in the 1920s or something like that, siphoning off the, the cream of the, of the demand for, for trolleys and, 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 and hastening their demise. Um, uh, it seems as if, uh, these systems are really operating out in, well, out in the periphery where people, uh, don't have, a, mobility offerings that are that are that are, have any uh good level of service and and so they've 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 discovered this and 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 by doing it let's say you know from uh, the uh, the grassroots uh, with with gig workers uh it's offered the gig workers an opportunity to to feed their families and it's offered um, offered the people there an opportunity to have mobility that they, they haven't had before. Or uh, to have it, it was extremely cumbersome and expensive. And so this ends up being a really good, um, uh, what I would call, again, a transit offering. And the transit companies should, should embrace it instead of being fearful of it or somehow, um, you know, um, being uh being uh uh something that they now have to let's heaven forbid tax so that you basically beat them down to to your uh low level um instead of instead of basically trying to enhance them and and provide even more mobility uh, uh to the people so um anyway it's it's really interesting and what's nice about the about the slides and people should look closely at the slides. This is just hard data, and um, you know, um, for, take it for what it's what it what it's worth. It is hard data, and and absorb it.
0: Really interesting, and there, there's a lot more to come. Obviously, you mentioned the gig workers, but then then there's the component of when these vehicles are don't have the gig workers in them.
1: Right on that line, as I mentioned, with respect to Didi, Didi's offering twenty 25- five. Million trips a day in China. Well, great, but but you know how many trips are taking place in China on, on a typical date? Two hundred and fifty million, or 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 two point five billion, probably uh, not 250, 2.5 billion, if not more. And so they're still at the one percent level, and and to grow, to to be able to to scale, to to really provide. Um, a a a sub- substantial mobility that's really going to make a difference <clears throat> uh, they have to grow they have to grow by 10x if not 100x and and there just aren't enough gig workers available to do that I don't think and so uh, the only way you can do it is is through automation and driverless. And if you do the automation and driverless, you'll still have plenty of work for all the gig workers. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be such a big industry. Um, it's going to need plenty of workers. Maybe they'll need to be retrained, of course, and so on. And you'll need drivers, too. People need assistance and so on. Um, uh, what these systems are doing for for paratransit or what has typically been paratransit uh, um, services, which uh, are just – Terrible levels of service. You have to schedule them, you know, maybe days in advance, get three-hour windows and so on. And I don't know what the what the number is for New Jersey Transit, but it's something like, like uh, you know, $60 a ride or something like that, that it costs New Jersey Transit to provide that service. Well, my goodness, uh, that's because some people need some assistance. Well, hey, uh, the current ones, the, the uh, current uh, DD or Uber Lyft drivers, can provide that, and and so uh, there's going to be plenty of work for people to do. Uh, that's I don't think that's that's the issue at
0: all. Terrific. Now, General Motors, uh, moving to another topic, is now facing a lawsuit filed by a motorcyclist following a collision with a cruise automated vehicle. Uh, the accident took place last month. In the latest smart driving cars newsletter, you contend that uh, cases like this really are needed.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to go through this. Uh, this is, this is, uh, this is like, you know, like childbirth or something. You, you have to you go through it. Um, um, you know, we did it through with uh, analog brakes. Uh, can you imagine uh, how many people who, who, um, after they got analog brakes on their car had a rear ender and blamed the analog brakes? Well, of course, you know, I tried to push hard on the brake pedal and it didn't stop. Oh my goodness. That's the fault. Not me. Uh, and you know, the, finally, the science and the technology of it went to court and said, well, no, you know, uh, uh, pushing hard on the brake isn't the way to do it. Uh, you know, you want to, the coefficient of static friction is higher than the coefficient of sliding friction. Science wins. So in this, you know, science is going to win. I mean, uh, and uh, the data from the car is going to be out there and they're going to people are going to look at it. and They're going to say, whoa uh, you know, I guess the police re- uh, report is correct. Or whatever it is the data will be there to be able to assign fault and um and it will be clear cut and we'll go through a few of these things and uh basically get the process down so that the so that the courts aren't aren't just jammed with these um and um and but, but to that process we have to go through it and uh, this is the beginning of the process and i think it's good it's great that we got
0: it started and a lot of changes to come, and the the impact on the insurance industry, et cetera, When it comes to self driving cars, of course, of
1: course. And I think uh, the the uh, idea with the uh, cars now collecting data and making the data available. Now, you know, the privacy people will have to say, uh, we'll get in there and we'll have, be able to deal with the, what's private, and what's what's just, you know, physics and facts and. And um, and and be able to deal with it. But I think the courts just have to go through and, and through that process. And we'll have to pay the lawyers, at least up front. And in the end, um, talk about somebody who's going to not have <laughs> who's going to need some work. It's probably the lawyers.
0: Then there yeah. was a recent mm-hmm. crash involving a Tesla Model S hitting a fire truck in California. The headline in Wired reads, People keep confusing their Teslas for self-driving cars. Uh, this is an issue other car makers face too.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a tragic uh, crash, but I don't think that it is the fault. Me personally, I don't think that it is the fault of the of the self-driving capabilities. There's a fault in the design of the automated emergency braking system, I believe. It is, it's the automated emergency braking system that should have stopped the vehicle from crashing into a st- stationary object. And, and the appalling element of those systems is, uh, let's blame it on the Society of Automotive Engineers, but I believe that the design criteria for those systems are that that if the driver is not uh, does not activate the brakes they won't brake until after it's too late and so they they don't even work to avoid the the crash unless the driver activates the brake well, my goodness, if you're in either autopilot or if you're, you know, for not paying attention for whatever reason, that's what you need the automated emergency braking system for, is to deal with the situations when you don't touch the brake. And, of course, the, the reason why they're designed that way is because, I guess, in the past, the systems weren't very good. And as you passed underneath a a a bridge, uh, uh, you know, or an overpass. You know, the thing thought the overpass was at ground level and Would all of a sudden put on the brakes and and stop vehicles short of an overpass, then you could pass under. Uh, okay, um, those those that's the old system. Those systems shouldn't have been put in production. We need to be better at making these things so that they don't do the false alarm. So that we they so that they actually work but not have them designed to not work. And and I hope that NHTSA, and it's looking at this crash, finally separates the issues here as to whether it's an issue associated with the, the self-driving capabilities or an issue associated with the automated emergency braking uh, system. I think it was the same thing that happened to Joshua Brown in Florida, that in fact a yeah, truck cut him off. And it's the automated emergency braking system that should break for those things. Those systems must work before we get to self-driving. And unfortunately, the systems that are in the showroom now that we see maybe some commercials about, um, you know, actually don't work. They they don't work as advertised. They'll, they'll do crash mitigation. They won't do crash avoidance. And that's just – that's just – terrible of the system and and the fundamental design philosophy that exists on the system. And this is this is a fatal flaw of the whole thing. And we better address it uh, sooner uh, uh, because otherwise we're not going to get to later.
0: Is the technology here today to to implement or how fast could it be done?
1: Well, I th- I think that we uh, we just need the the radars that are on there really have to be able to look to see whether or not the you know there's a 13 foot clearance or a 12 foot clearance or whatever clearance ahead and and if there is a a, a disregard that 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 uh, that object then it's not at the road and we're not going to crash into it. But if it's a if it's a truck or if it's a vehicle that's stationary um, uh, that all, that all of a sudden appears. Uh, the situation that, that, that Tesla point points out is that, 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 that and, and also with respect to any intelligent cruise control, we're sitting there following a vehicle that's ahead of us. Our radars know exactly how far that vehicle is ahead of us, what the relative velocity is, and everything's hunky-dory. It's, um, it's, uh, it's controlling the throttle and brake properly. All of a sudden, the vehicle in front of us changes lanes. So lo- no longer is that vehicle in front of us. Why did it change lanes? Because it saw ahead of it a vehicle or an entity that's stopped, okay, that's stationary, that's not moving, that's blocking, or it's a brick wall or, you know, whatever, whatever. That The vehicle in front of us moved out of the way. Apparently, the logic in the automated braking system uh, then uh, – looks at that and says, my goodness, uh, uh, this may be a false alarm, that there's actually something stationary ahead of us. Uh, Therefore, I'm not going to do anything. Uh, Maybe I'll put out a warning or something uh, to somebody, but, you know, uh, great. Thank you for warning me if you... But nothing's there. Nothing's there. Nothing's there. Nothing's there. Nobody's hitting the brake. And, oh man, we should be hitting the brake, but the driver hasn't hit the brake. So I guess uh, this is a false alarm. We're not gonna do anything. We're not gonna do anything. Oh my goodness, it's like point. It's like one second before before collision. Oh geez, let's put on the brakes now. Oh, but let's only put them on at fifty percent because we're still not sure. Boom. That is a
0: poor design. Maybe one way to avoid accidents is to have lighter colored vehicles. There's a report in USA Today that says because of the way LIDAR works, uh, LIDAR is a technology used in, in many self-driving vehicles, and we'll see how, how it shakes out in the future. But it detects light colored vehicles around it better than dark colored vehicles. So the article says car makers may be favoring those lighter colored.
1: Oh great! I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I, if, what we if, if we're gonna start talking about paint, what we need is paint that's on on the roadways that delineate the lanes so that we get you and I can see them, Fred. And then, and then, uh, and then uh, the whatever systems we'll put on there, we'll, we'll see them. We'll we'll see them well too, uh, and and so on and. And you know how I many vehicles are equipped with LIDAR right now in the, uh, in the United States today? There's certainly under a thousand. Okay. Out of, uh, you know, 250 million licensed vehicle, we have a thousand that, that have LIDAR. Come on. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I don't know who writes this stuff, but I guess well, it sells and, you. and
0: anyway, the, the competing or, or complementing even technology, uh, is cameras and cameras perhaps can see darker vehicles better than than they can lighter.
1: Sure, and then you're and then the whole issue of what, what is you're, you're probably going to have a radar on it, and uh, what you're not going to want to make are cars that are stealth cars so that they can hide themselves from radar like our airplanes. I mean, uh, but <laughs> whatever.
0: Uh, uh there's an idea for law enforcement <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i know uh, hey maybe general motors will make a stealth car so that i don't get caught in uh, in speed traps best way to not get caught in speed traps is don't speed
0: <laughs> and finally uh apple has expanded its fleet of self-driving cars in california registering uh two dozen more with the state department of motor vehicles i guess it it still isn't completely clear just what Apple's up to, what their strategy is.
1: It's not. And they have some things out there and they're still dabbling and they, they really don't say much and, and, and they, they don't need to. And, you know, other people that don't say much is Waymo Waymo doesn't say much. They don't, they don't, they they have a grand plan and so on but the details of of what they're going to be doing they're not out there um they're not out there really trying to convince anybody they're out there i think trying to convince themselves that that they're good enough to to get over that hurdle of taking that that waymo driver or attendant out of the vehicle completely and getting to that driverless piece. And, uh, and since, uh, since they definitely know what they're doing, uh, uh, they, I'm sure have, uh, very solid plans as to how to then take that and, and commercialize that op, that opportunity. They, uh, they're, they're not doing this just as a proof of concept, uh, to write a research paper to put on my shelf or somebody else's shelf, uh, and have three people read it, uh, worldwide. Uh, they're doing this for, for commercialization, uh, purposes. Uh, they see it as a commercialization opportunity. And if you see this as a commercial oper uh, commercialization opportunity, you you have to have plans as to how uh you're going to bring it to the marketplace uh just like apple had its plans to be able to to uh uh to put into the marketplace an iphone uh and have the manufacturing all set up once they had the technology behind the device uh, to a point where they thought uh, it could survive in the marketplace they they were ready to roll that sucker out and uh, you 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 have to assume uh that that's that's what waymo has been doing over the past uh, uh five or more years is setting up the whole process uh to commercialize this uh, and not to make do a research report uh and national science foundation like and stick it on some shelf someplace and say this will, this is what we could have done um, they're setting it up to do it, um, and they don't have to tell anybody about it until they're ready to say, "Here it is. Um,
0: uh, let's go for a ride." Interesting. And when it comes to Apple, you know, there's still these there are still rumors afoot, and uh, analysts trying to push the possibility of Apple buying Tesla, which would be some deal if it ever did happen. Ah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, sure. Uh, we we may, read about this every every couple of months, I, and it happens right now that there are more stories saying it would make sense, and this and that. Yeah, different it, different it, it people's would, it,
1: it would make some sense, uh, but the issue is, is if you're gonna going to buy a, a, an auto manufacturer, do you buy one in the United States? Do you buy one in China? Do you buy one in India? Do you buy one somewhere else? uh where do you really do this uh this this is a worldwide uh market uh, this is not just a, a US market and and as we know um when apple went out and did the iphone where was that manufactured uh so um and and to to get the scale um uh you need you uh, you really need to to uh, uh to have uh, something significant and what is scale. I mean in in our looking uh uh to provide um, uh, uh to to make a difference um in the in the United States you need you need, uh, you need ten million of these things out there at least and, and still you're in the you know in the ten percent of the market or or low ten, tens of percents of the market of, of trips. And so the issue is, is is how do you get millions of these things out there ra- relatively quickly? Um, and um, and, and uh, right now, Tesla doesn't have the, the manufacturing capability to even produce uh, their Model 3s uh, at a rate of, of 5,000 uh, uh, per month. Uh, which, which gives you, you know, 60,000 a year. And, and, and you, you have to, you want to be going out there. Maybe 60,000 is good for the first year, but the next year you've got to be up there, you know, next near a million. Because, because once this starts working, I think the rollout is, is quick, it's fast. And, and just like the rollout for, it's, it's not as fast as that of the iPhone because, you know, every 3 year old has one but um, but it's fast it's um, might be it's it's certainly within two orders of magnitude of that and and tesla doesn't have that but maybe i don't know what do i know i'm you know
0: i'm sitting here at backwater university <laughs> back Princeton certainly is backwater university That's it for this edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Find us at smartdrivingcar.com on SoundCloud and look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening.